Good afternoon and welcome to the Double or Nothing podcast, episode 7 already, which is hard to believe. Hosted by myself, Clark Cummings, alongside my partner, Alex Russian, in collaboration with DraftKings, the best place to play daily fantasy sports for cash prizes. Today is October 4th, 5th, sorry. We got a heavy slate of sports going on. Two Monday Night Football games with the Chiefs and Patriots. And then the Packers and Falcons, which should be an interesting game, along with two big MLB playoff games and the French Open starting to wrap up. Uh, the finals are Saturday and Sunday. Alex, uh, I know we had a scary situation with you last week. Uh, how are you doing? And update our listeners about uh, everything that happened. I think it was a Friday or Saturday. Yeah, Friday. So I mean, I learned I learned a couple things uh, on Friday. But first, just to get going with the story, basically, I had a very very bad allergic reaction to a bee. Nothing's ever happened to me before. Um, I've been stung by bees like multiple times in the past, as like recently as like a year ago. For any uh, listeners that we have that are in the medical industry, maybe this will give you a fucking, I don't know a kick, something like that. But anyway, yeah, I'm at the beach, just hanging out. Um, get stung. Ten minutes later, I'm scratching my and then scratching my face, just like non-stop and I'm like what is happening and I felt like honestly I felt like an Oompa Loompa like not an Oompa Loompa but you know that blue and Willy Wonka that just blew up like a blueberry that's basically what happened to me so I felt it in my thumbs first and then like we were running like the people that we were with I was with uh, my friend Colin who's on the baseball team and my roommate Gavin who's on the golf team and uh they started we started running to to the street from the beach and like as I was running I felt like my my mouth swell up, my lips, my my eyes, I couldn't see, I could barely breathe, and they called uh, the paramedics, so the ambulance came about five minutes uh, later, and it was weird, because, like, throughout the whole time, I was, like, I mean, I was a little shaken, but I also just had so much, like, adrenaline in me, I was, like, what the f*** is going on, it's never happened, um, and I just looked insane, like, my face blew the fuck up, and so, it's like when you're, like, stranded in a desert, hopefully, we don't find ourselves in this position, but let's say you are stranded in the desert and you finally get found, you see a plane drive over you, you relax. So even though like the situation was like still really, really rough, once I was like with the ambulance, I just like kind of like mellowed out a little bit and I uh, was like, all right, I'm saved. But then once I got into the emergency room, the doctor told me that like my throat had basically closed and it was the worst case he's seen in 10 years and uh, that the paramedics saved my life. So. I mean, first of all, I guess just huge thank you to the paramedics who saved me. That I can't believe that happened. Um, and honestly, it was like a super traumatic experience. I almost didn't make it to episode seven, but I am glad that I'm here. And like I said, like I'll share the picture. Maybe we'll have Cracked Rackets posted or something, or we'll put it on our Instagram account, which uh, we just started as we head into actually next or next week or the week after. We're going to start uh, videotaping the podcast, uh, which is a cool step for us, and we're excited to announce but uh yeah follow us on our new instagram which is uh double or nothing underscore podcast um and there'll be more details about that later in the show but it really was i'll share it on one of those platforms and i mean what i learned was i better wear some more sunscreen because i'm an ugly ass old man just awful yeah and um well thankfully we don't have to uh mourn your death and that you're here and we can we can talk about a bunch of random sports and get into some random topics that cross our mind but first we got to go into uh the french open i don't know if you saw today do you see what zverev did today and the whole tennis community was freaking out he had like a i guess he played he played center yesterday lost in four won the third set but center was by far the better player and i mean a 19 year old to play that well uh, I mean, shows the levels of maturity the kid has already. But Zverev played the match with like a hundred and one uh, degree fever. Was complaining of stomach problems. I don't know about the COVID protocol when they take tests, but I was just reading something that, you know, again, Zverev and the young generation f- things up by not, you know, following the rules. The team didn't follow the rules at times of the U.S. Open. So, you know, it just further proves our point that these guys aren't the smartest and uh very uh 
what's the word? They're not educated enough about the topic and don't really give a shit, which is, uh, which is annoying. But I'm glad Sinner uh, moved on because we got a good matchup with Sinner and Nadal uh, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, I think. So I think you are allowed to be sick and just get sick. I think at this point he's definitely COVID-free getting this late in the tournament and staying in the bubble. He, he has to be, and they, I'm sure they're getting regular tests. I'm pretty sure they are. But with that said, I think uh, my thing is it's like, okay, it's one thing to go and try and win the match, but then once you can see that the match, you just don't feel well and you're not going to be able to uh, – you're not going to be able to win the match, then I think you just have to go into that decision mode of possibly retiring from the match. Um, I respect him trying to play, uh, but what I don't like is at the end of the match, now it comes out that he's been sick and stuff like that, um, and it comes out from him. I feel like if you do take uh, you know, the objective to play and you get out there, then there's no excuses. You decided to play because you thought you were good enough to play, and now you leave it all out there, and then you live with the results at the end of the match. So if it was released, I think that he was feeling ill prior to the match, I think then it'd be okay for him to go into a little bit more detail. But I just think it does. Um, you know, Fetters, I don't think, ever retired from a match in his entire career. If he steps on that court, it's because he's uh, prepared to play. I don't think, like, yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think he's ever retired from a match. And I think Djokovic and Nadal is probably somewhat with Federer. But Djokovic has, I mean, I think leads the – he's got to have the record for the most retirements in a Grand Slam or in any match uh, and, and, and a and tour. a lot of those were before he matured as a player too. Like early yeah. on in his career, the one we all remember is the iconic one against Roddick in Australia in the quarterfinals where he kind of – I think it was 2009 where he kind of pussied out and honestly he just waved the white flag and uh, – that was his last one. After that, he just went on that incredible run that uh, has lasted 10, 12 years. So I think you see that with signs of immaturity. Nadal, for instance, and that's the thing. I, I respect Federer the most, but I don't uh, not respect Nadal for going out there and trying and seeing if he can play. And then if he can't play, pulling out during the match. I have no problem with that. But just if you're going to play, then don't bring those things up in the pre- uh, press conference afterwards, I think. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue we have as tennis fans and – a part of a tennis media company, it's the lack of responsibility that these some of these guys have, and it just hurts the sport. You know, it comes out after the match, and he's just not accountable with his actions, and that's why I've never really been a strong Tavera fan, and he's always been prone to the upsets. So I've always rooted for the underdogs, and you know, underdogs playing Zverev usually have a good shot because he's a he he just mentally he you never know what you're gonna get from him, but. You know, it's a little upsetting that we're in a global pandemic and he wasn't really upfront with how he was feeling. And I mean, I don't know the protocols in Paris and how many tests they're doing a day, but still, he's got to, you got to say something. And because where we are today, you know, if it's last year, it's different, but we're in a different, gener- we're in a different kind of age of society right now with everything that's going on. So, you know, I was kind of upset with that, but. You know, I think Sinner played a hell of a match, and you got to give all the credit to the young 19, 19-year-old um, who's going to face Rafa here on, I think, tomorrow afternoon. But really what we're looking forward to is the potential Djokovic-Nadal matchup. Um, Alex, what do you think about this? I don't know what time the match is, but how many people do you think are glued in to the TV watching – before we get into Djokovic and Nadal, how many people you think will be glued into the TV on Saturday morning? So you have college game day that you're competing with. You'll have Sports Center probably on ESPN two recapping baseball on Friday night, and then you'll have I don't know. You have some other show. There's other college football shows, but you're gonna have the women's final at nine thirty or eleven. On Saturday morning, where people are, you know, are watching game day, but they're also getting out of their house and, you know, going to the grocery store, whatever. I would like to see the TV ratings for Saturday, October, uh, whatever, tenth, for this woman's final. What do you think the? What's your opinion on that? You think there's gonna be many people tuned in to, uh, not really a star-filled, the uh, what is it, star-filled? quarterfinal right now lack of stars 
Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be much viewership from the United States on that day as far as the French Open is concerned. I mean, you just got to look at it like it's a very international sport. So I think across the world it's going to do fine. But in the United States, it definitely can't compete with college football. Like, no shot. And uh, the biggest reason that is, too, is because there's no really – there's no Americans um, – left on the men's side that are playing on the uh, women's side there's one American but you know we'll see if she gets um, to uh, you know to the final so for that day I I just don't really have a lot of faith in it and that just kind of I mean it just speaks to popularity and it's what you like the most you know what I mean Um, I think uh, the United States is a very very uh, patriotic uh, country when it comes to sports especially when they have one of their own playing and it's something that unites the country and something that the entire country can all get behind uh, regardless of whatever. And that's why um, that's why when you do see these, uh, you know, different spikes in viewership, it's definitely because of that. Like, I'm sure if Coco was in the finals, it'd be a completely different story. But since it's going to be probably two European women, um, I don't really see it standing much of a chance. It's also just like being early in the day, too, because you can wake up at 11 miss a couple games, but you got the rest of the day to watch college football. There's just so much going on. But this is going to be a match early in the morning and then probably mid-afternoon for us. So along with the time change and just not being able to compete with college football and a lack of uh, American representation, I think that's going to hurt it for sure. So we do have – we had some upsets in um, the round of 16. Simone Halep went down and Kiki Burtons went down. There's this young 19-year-old. I haven't heard of her before the tournament. Uh, Swiatek from Poland, who hits the ball well, uh, very clean off both sides, uh, got a good IQ for for her age on the tennis court, uh, and she plays a fellow Italian. And then there is Kennan, who moved on to the quarterfinal, but like Alex said, it's really one American right now because Danielle Collins plays in the round of 16. Her match is moved to tomorrow at 5 a.m. against Jabir, the uh, Muslim girl who's ranked 30. So that will be a uh, intriguing matchup, but really, you can't have uh, Max. You'll have one American moving on to the semifinal, and it probably would be Kennan if Kennan and Collins were to face off. But the thing is, you really don't have any notable figures in there. Kvitova is notable, but she's only won three Grand Slams, so you'd have to have a Serena, uh, Goff, you know, another simplifying Venus. it. Simplifying yeah. it, like, the the reality is there's just not a reason for someone who's not a tennis fan to watch any of those matches if there's not an American player. I'm not going to watch it. I mean, I, I, the only, I would maybe catch a glimpse of it if I'm betting on it, and there's some good odds, but I'm probably not going to watch it. I do think the odds right now are intriguing. Uh, for some reason, they put Swiatek to be favored at plus 250 after defeating Halep. I just don't see her moving on to the finals because it's tough for any 19-year-old to emotionally recover after being the number one player in the world. That's just really tough. So I, whoever is thinking about taking those odds, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I would really touch uh, Monfils's girlfriend, Slavina, and then Kennan. I would stay away from Kvitova. I don't really like her game on, on clay, especially on this uh, the surface right now with cold, windy balls are kind of uh, not going through opponents. So that I, I just think Slavitova or Kavina or Kennan, sorry, are um, the two favorites. Slavina at two seventy five and Kennan at five hundred. So I'd throw a few bucks on those and uh, ride those out because I think those are uh, some pretty good odds uh, for both. For both, so that that will be intriguing. But really, I wanted to uh, get your opinion on what do you think about the men's draw so far. No Americans left, of course. Um, that's you know too much, too too uh, expecting too much, obviously, like I always do. But uh, what's your thought on Nadal and Joker? So, just looking at the men's draw here, I uh, you know not surprised that. Djokovic is through the quarters. Also, Karenio Busta um, following up a really good run in New York. But, I mean, he's from Spain, so he's a natural clay quarter. So that's, you know, that makes sense. Um, Rubla, pretty straightforward. I like that. The match that uh, was interesting to me was the Tsitsipas-Dimitrov match because Dimitrov's just constantly, I think, been fighting. Um, 
just the last couple of years to really, uh, you know, I think he was solidified as like a top five, top ten guy and then kind of slipped up. He had that awful year. Now it's just like he's kind of in between both those things. So I would have liked to see a bit more like, I don't know, fight out of him. Like I, I didn't watch the match, but just looking at the score, 6-3, 7-6, 6-2, it's like I feel like Grigor just as far as like maturity-wise – um, he's been there before. He's done stuff that Titsipas hasn't done. He's been where Titsipas is right now. So I feel like they, as players, are on equal footing in a lot of ways. So from him, just in the stage that he's at, I think at least make that match go to four sets, if not five or something, show us a battle. Team, pretty straightforward. I mean, he still had a dogfight. That guy, Gaston, had a crazy tournament. An interesting point about that is Gaston is French, and... Uh, not a lot of French guys do well at the French Open. I don't really know why. I mean, you saw Monfils going out in the first round. You saw Benoit Paire going out in the first round. They don't really do well, which is upsetting for those fans. Um, so Schwartzman team, that's going to be a very interesting match there. And I'm looking at the odds right now on what I'm seeing, and I see Schwartzman is plus 180. Um, and he's definitely capable of winning that match, especially after team just won a U.S. Open and then just played five sets. Like, he's... He has some miles on him, and Schwartzman, I mean, he just beat Nadal. He's as good as anybody on clay. So, What are what are team's odds? Team's odds are minus uh, 225. Wow. So team said in his press conference yesterday that he thinks Schwartzman would be the favorite in this match. And our theory, Alex, of winning a match after a five-set match is going to be between 15 and 18%. I don't know why Schwartzman is so high. I think... Anyone that has those odds over plus 150, jump on Schwartzman because team's emotionally exhausted, just looks drained after that big high he had at uh, in, the USO, in New York. I think Schwartzman can – these conditions favor Schwartzman. And a lot of the commentators like Jim Courier said today, uh, he, would be, he wouldn't be surprised to see Diego move on and, and uh, move into the semifinals where he would have an intriguing – very intriguing matchup against Nadal, who we beat about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So, very. I mean, but I, I think Alex, we want you, that would, team. Wouldn't you match take? With Nadal. I mean, I would take. You feel confident in team after a long five-set match, uh, and his kind of the miles he has in the past month. I mean, I I do. Um, I don't think those odds reflect it uh, as I good as they should, just like you do, but. Yeah, they're a little high, but yeah, especially for this match. Maybe if he had two five-setters under him or something like that. I still think team is the favorite, but that guy's that guy's a good opponent, um, and he could for sure win. So I think it's at least, like, I would say 60-40. I mean, just those odds being as good as they are, I think it's worth a sprinkle uh, at the very least if you have some other safe bets going. Um, looking at Nadal's center, I mean, it's been a great run for center. I think Nadal's going through there. And I would love to see that Nadal team just bloodbath. That would be the semifinal. That would be crazy. And that could even potentially be like a, a deciding match, depending on how it goes for Novak in these next two. Um, another interesting match to me is the Rublev uh, Pass match. And I'm looking, Rublev is plus 140 and Pass is minus 160. What do you think about those odds? So, Rublev is the favorite, or Titsipas is? Uh, Titsipas is. Minus yeah, I would, 160. So if I would, I'm really kind of motivated to put a solid parlay together. Um, I would honestly go Djokovic, Titsipas, Schwartzman, Nadal. I wonder how much that would pay out. Um, I just don't feel confident in team. And then Rublev came off of another, I mean, he's had a, Tsitsipas and Rublev both came to, came back from two sets of love down, but Tsitsipas came off of a convincing, convincing win against Grigor, who just laid an egg, like you said, who's just been Mr. Inconsistent his whole career. And Rublev came off of a tough physical battle with uh, Fusevich, who beat Medvedev. So I think I would take Tsitsipas there. He lost. He kind of choked against Rublev in the third set uh, in Rome. I think Djokovic, Tsitsipas... Schwartzman Nadal would be a good parlay to take for that quarterfinal, and uh, you know later I'd like to see how much that pays out once I uh, have the odds in front of me. But I, uh, I I really want to see Nadal Djokovic. I think that's the best storyline and good matchup with 
you know, the current Grand Slam total, Fed 20, Nadal 19, and then Djokovic coming uh, from behind with, with 17. So I think the talk of the of the tennis world right now is who's going to win that Nadal-Djokovic match. What do you think? Um, I think you could flip a coin, really. I really think you could flip a coin. It just, these guys, I think it, a lot of it depends on the day. Um, there's a lot of different elements going on. I think Nadal's like highly motivated, but for him, it's business as usual. And for Djokovic, I think it's like somewhat of a redemption tournament, um, because of what happened during the U S open. So I just, you know, I don't, I don't have a pick for you yet. I think we might have to do another pod before then, because I, I'm not sure. I think it's a coin flip. I'm so Nadal was probably what plus one ten before the tournament and Djokovic Look at the like paths of the two. finals though. Nadal's next yeah. match Nadal's semifinal match uh is gonna be way harder than Novak's semifinal match. On paper, yes. But I'm surprised the odds jumped that much where Nadal moved from one ten to one thirty five and then Djokovic went from two twenty to one twenty. So the uh, Vegas is definitely liking how Djokovic is playing and you know, talking with people, they think this is kind of the best Djokovic has ever played. He looks so strong, and this might be like the top of the top where, you know, no one's ever played this consistent as well as Djokovic has this year. And just the returns and the way he's striking the ball off both sides, moving in. and then I that, think the conditions know, Drop shots him. that he's really doing. And the conditions probably do favor Djokovic. I just can't bet against Nadal at a tournament that he's just manhandled over his career and the confidence he has stepping on in that court. Yeah, aside from that and aside of just the calmness, the experience um, that Nadal possesses, the tournament right now is not the same tournament that he is used to playing. And I think these conditions do uh, are a little bit better for Djokovic uh, just because it's quicker. And Nadal wants it to be slow. He wants it to be groggy. He wants it to be heavy. So I think Djokovic does have, have an advantage there. Um, just because of the speed of the ball, I don't know how much it will impact Nadal's uh, ball's ability to jump up, up off the ground. But, yeah, I kind of, thinking about it in that sense, I, I do like Djokovic. And I feel like Djokovic is used to suffering um, just from a societal standpoint, the way he's grown up and everything like that. Like, I don't think this bubble is affecting him as much as it might be affecting Nadal. Um, re- also, just with the prospect of what happened at the U.S. Open. So that's why I, I would maybe actually favor, favor Djokovic. I think you have a point. I'm kind of looking at it, you know, they're both excellent off the ground, and the matchup is a great matchup because when Nadal spins that forehand out wide to Djokovic's backhand, he can, you know, take it so many different ways, you know, when Nadal approaches Federer uh, and he's just trying to get that, that ball in, uncomfortable into that one-handed backhand. So it, it's a great matchup. Um, I just don't understand the conditions enough on how they'll play out in this match. We've never really seen a, an extremely windy, cold match with these two guys, I don't think. Uh, not that I can remember. But, um, There's been some windy ones at Indian Wells, but I, I don't know if cold. But not on, I just but not, also but not like on clay, the, mm-hmm. you know? And not on no, clay not on clay. In, this, in, in Europe. So uh, I, my feeling is Djokovic takes it in four, but I'd like to see Rafa win with everything that's going on. I don't want you to, like, you shouldn't reward, you know, bad behavior almost. And uh, that would kind of be. Uh, a tough taste in, in tennis fans' I mean, ma- mouth. Novak won. I I disagree because it's not anyone rewarding it; it's him earning it. And you know what? Like low key, like can't really say much if if you're winning. Like it's yeah, it's pretty true. much the thing that cures all. Winning cures everything. Like uh, so, I don't really think that you know people can say whatever they want to say, but they can't unmake him the French Open champion if he is, and they're just gonna have to deal with that. Obviously, he's doing something right. He fucked I see, up. But when I when I look the at the results. yeah, when I look at the match, I kind of uh, looking at how Djokovic has played. He's playing with so many more drop shots. So I kind of see. I mean, they're both going to wear the hell out of each other. 
how can Nadal do by anticipating those drop shots and really gripping and ripping and putting those balls deep back in the court where if Djokovic gets it back, can he get an overhead to put it away? Or is he going to be in trouble with those short drop shots? Is it going to be, you know, an angle game and, and Novak's going to be kind of feeling the power there by just pushing the ball over the place and, and hitting winners off of those drop shots? Or is Rafa going to be able to get up those, strike those? And I think with Rafa, his volleys aren't the greatest part of his game. So uh, I think that – I really think Rafa, in, in, like in front of the service line, that's the, the matchup that we should be uh, looking forward to. I, I don't know because in my opinion, it's like Nadal is – I actually think Nadal's an underrated volleyer. His volleys aren't the best part of his game, but when he does come up to net, it's to put the ball away. All his volleys are very, very easy volleys. So that's why, uh, you know, his volley numbers are actually very, very good. And Novak is doing this right now, and it's probably something that he's added to his game, but I think it's also just like the theme of the tournament a little bit. Um, Homeboy um, Gaston, who played team, I think had like 50 drop shots, and he only missed like a few of them. So team basically had 50 sprints to the net. But the thing is, I think uh, Nadal and, Fe- and Nadal and uh, Djokovic have played against each other so many times that they know exactly how they're going to play each other, exactly what the other guy's going to do, and it's just about who executes better. The way Djokovic plays against someone else um, isn't going to dictate how he plays against Nadal and vice versa. They they know the ins and outs of each other's games, and that's why at that level, that's why I said it's like flipping a coin because it really ju- is just down to who is going to execute better when you get two players that are so evenly matched. Like, Nadal's, Nadal's not going to lose to Djokovic on Sunday because Djokovic hits uh, because of a drop shot. That's not going to win Djokovic a tennis match against Nadal. That's definitely not going to be the difference maker. He might add it to his game more so, and he's feeling it, but I don't think that's going to be the deciding factor of why Novak Djokovic might be Nadal in a tennis match. Like I said, I think it's just they, they know what they're going to do against each other. They're going to try and do it, and it's about uh, who executes better and who's better on the day. That's kind of, at this level in tennis, it's all about inches. Yeah, no, um, no, I agree. I just think if Djokovic can kind of neutralize Nadal's forehand and just push him over towards his backhand and then drop shot him and move him around the court, it's going to be a tough day for Nadal. But looking at the head-to-head on the ATP.com, Djokovic has won 29, and Nadal has won 26. So 29-26, Novak, their last matchup came on the hard court of the ATP Cup in Australia in January, where Novak won 6-2-7-6. And then on clay, they played in 2019 in Rome, and Nadal bageled Djokovic the first set and then won um, 6-1 in the third. So 6-0, 4-6, 6-1. Rome is also typically quick, by the way. Yeah, Rome's quicker. So uh, this is a different tournament. We haven't seen these conditions, so it's going to be a totally different uh, match than we've probably seen before. I mean, you know, same matchup, but I think it's going to be a little bit slower, and we'll have to see how these guys adjust. Uh, they're, they're, top, they're in the top five in the world for a reason, so I'm excited to see how that match um, plays out. But I'm really looking forward to the rest of this Lakers and – Heat series, Lakers up 2-1. Tough loss last night. Uh, LeBron and company didn't look like they were ready to play. Yeah, that was pretty f***ing brutal, honestly, watching that game. It made me wish that I got stung by the bee five minutes before tip-off and not on Friday because, holy sh! I needed an EpiPen for my eyes yesterday. Um, it just felt, it just didn't feel good the entire game. The energy was off to me. The vibe was off. I thought that... The Heat wanted it more from game, you know, from tip-off, from from minute one, and you saw that throughout the whole time. And I was just waiting the entire game for the Lakers uh, to just take a run and just have a big run and, you know, kind of just put them to sleep. And that never came. It was almost like that uh, game that they lost against Denver where they were up. Sorry, no, they were down big, and then the fourth quarter started, and then all of a sudden they go – like 11 stops in a row and go on a 19-2 to two tear and bring it back within striking distance all tied up, and then the last four minutes uh, Denver gets away with it again. So I was just waiting for that, like, ascension, 
and it never came. And I mean, I'm very, I'm disappointed with like the energy. It really did seem like the urgency wasn't there as much. Anthony Davis had a terrible game. He's been playing really well, but he had an awful game. LeBron, stats-wise, he had a good game, but I didn't. I mean, I didn't feel like he had a major impact on the game um, the way he normally does. And they didn't come in like flusters where it was just like big time. Um, but what does concern me about this game is like, okay, maybe there was like the element of like AD letting his guard down a little bit because Bam's not out there now. Um, and they were seeing some new faces, so there was, like, a new adjustment period. But this team is definitely worse, so they should have jumped on them. But just looking at, like, the impact of the Lakers bench, I mean, you got a few threes from Kyle Kuzma, which you can never count on. You can never ask for those. And Markeith Morris played really well. Um, so I just – I don't know. Like, I feel like they had enough from the bench to step up. If AD has a normal game – um, and LeBron just plays a little with a little bit more energy, maybe. I think that's a even regardless of what Jimmy Butler did last night, which is which was remarkable. Um, I think they win that game. Yeah, no, I think Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma played really well, and Kuzma's inconsistent. Kuzma's inconsistent, but he's been pretty good uh, this year, averaging more than ten points a game. Uh, I'm really disappointed with AD's execution. But without Bam, and Bam's probably going to come back and play tomorrow night, and then they don't have Dragic, I think it's just a totally different series. Bam isn't healthy, but Bam's a guy where he's an athletic big, can guard AD, um, and put put some size on him. Just can Bam, is he healthy enough to rebound consistently uh, with the neck sprain? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but the I mean the first couple games, Bam wasn't really having an impact on AD. AD was going off, LeBron was getting his when he wanted to get his. So, I mean, that's, and that's why it's so crazy. It's like, dude, Ke- Kelly Olynyk, bro, like, are we serious? That should be barbecue chicken for AD and LeBron, like, all day long. So, that's going to be interesting. I think they might even, like, feel more comfortable with Bam because that's what they were preparing for. Um, I don't think they were preparing for high minutes from Kelly Olynyk and... That the problem with it is like the Lakers don't need every single guy to step up. They just need a couple guys per game to step up. The first game, um, KCP stepped up and he played great. And then you go look at, um, then you look at uh, this game and it's like you did have the Morris brother and you did have uh, Kyle Kuzma who hasn't showed up at all. Like if he gives you anything, you should be able to win the game because they're they're always automatic. The the big two. Yeah, no, uh, I don't know, I don't know what AD was was thinking last night, but right now my I do too, but I think my series MVP is LeBron. LeBron's been the better player for the whole series, but last night Jimmy Butler was by far the best player on the, on the court um, and just ran the offense well. I do think the offense goes better with Butler at the point, and you have Hero, Duncan Robinson on the corners, and then if they do get Bam back. Uh, tomorrow night, you know, he, he's always a threat. And I did like, I mean, being a Lakers fan and wanting LeBron to to get his fourth ring, I think Kelly Olenek is kind of a secret weapon for the Heat because he's he's been in top, LeBron top owns playoff. Him, LeBron's fucked his life up but so many times. He has, but Kelly Olenek's been a tough defender. You know, he ripped out Kevin Love's shoulder, I think, a few years ago cause Kevin Love to go out for the majority of the playoffs. So I just think he's there's... He's not a chump. He's not, but there's more physicality with with Kelly. So There's uh, more size with Kelly. Yeah, Bam's not as tall. That's the thing. Bam's supposed to be a center, but he's the same height as uh, LeBron, AD, and uh, Dwight Howard. But Kelly so can guard... So there's no advantage. He can guard AD a little better, I think. And then Myers Leonard's, you know, a okay backup who can guard him. He's knocked down some shots. So, I mean... It's going to be an interesting game for, but the Lakers got to win with four and five. They got to. I felt like you know LeBron's kind of checked out of this bubble, and he wants to go home and celebrate. So I think we'll see a new LeBron, AD come into play, and then those uh, role players have been playing pretty well. KCP and Kuzma, Morris have been playing well, and and Rondo's you know, Rondo's impressed me. I didn't think Rondo would have this big of an effect on on the games the postseason. Yeah, I mean, Rondo is just a bona fide baller. The guy is a gamer. That's what Rondo is. He's a f***ing gamer. But, so I, I'm looking at this right now. I'm just looking at their stats and everything like that. And that's why with AD's like, little slip and drop last night and decline, 
for the finals MVP, I believe that that was LeBron's game to snatch it. Because if he just does it, did his normal numbers the rest of the way out, but he had a big game last night and made up for AD, then it would have been like a guaranteed thing. But his points go the last three games, 25. Last night was 25, 10, and 8. Game two was 33, 9, and 9. Pretty amazing. Game one was 25, 13, and 9. And then we look at AD last night was... Last night was 15, 5, and 3, awful. And then, oh, yeah, sorry, 15, 15, 5, and 3. And then game 2, 32, 14, and 1. And game 1, 34, 9, and 5. And so they're very, very even. So I think you could just give it to anybody right now. But that's why it's these, like, select moments. When that other guy's not picking it up, that's how LeBron essentially would have guaranteed finals MVP. And, I mean, numbers-wise, I think he did a lot better than AD last night, but I don't think, like, on the eye test, I don't think the impact was um, as, you know, the same as it would be um, had he really, you know, had they won that game, truthfully. Yeah, no, I agree, but I think I think AD, no matter what happens the rest of the series, if, you know, AD goes for 40 or, you know, 30, 40 with, you know, a double-double and high-teen rebounds, I think he wins it there, but I think the lackluster performance in Game 3 for AD kind of hurts his chances of winning the Finals MVP. If LeBron, you know, if LeBron's LeBron and consistent and goes 25-30 with a near triple-double, it's going to be him, and he's going to wrap that up. I think he was plus 250 heading into the Finals. So for series everyone, MVP. everyone can have a bad game, and anyone can have a bad game, but that's why I just think it's like... Also, AD rebounds, like, and I'm saying not basketball-wise, I'm saying... After a loss or a bad game, he rebounds very, very well. So I think he's going to play super good next game. Um, but he's going to be the primary scoring option, I feel like. I think they're going to try and make LeBron shoot. Like, they're going to do what the Spurs did um, and try and make LeBron beat them, which I think is fine. LeBron can totally do it. Jimmy Butler last night, though, we definitely got to give him a little credit because he was amazing. Like, he just put the team on his back. Like, that was all, that was all Jimmy. And an interesting thing, too, before you uh, dive into it is, like, I check his number, and his points, rebounds, assists number is always 30, 30 and a half, or 31 and a half. Last night, it was 38 and a half, and he always gets that number by like one or two because Goran has been, Goran Dragic has been the number one scoring option, and then you see times where Tyler Hero goes crazy or where Bam goes crazy. So he always hits that number, but it's just barely. And last night, he just took a dump on that number. I think uh, looking in the game four, I think prop bets you got to hammer AD. Uh, I think he has a huge game. I think they, from the start, they they get him involved and get his confidence back up, and then LeBron will do stuff in the middle of the game. But I really am intrigued to see if I don't know how many minutes they kept a, uh, Dwight and Dwight and AD on the floor together. But Dwight Howard has been playing very well, and he's kind of resurrected and put himself. Back on good terms with Lakers fans, and I mean he's only going to yeah, play. He's going to play quarter one and quarter. He's going to play the first quarter in the beginning of the third quarter. Like I thought Dwight needed games. to play more last night. Like yeah. why they were getting how many buckets was Jimmy scoring in the paint? Yeah, they need to have a better rim production. And hey, put Javale McGee in for a few minutes a game, just a few, a fresh legs, a shot blocker. He can affect the game. I think. They need to play Javal a little bit more and use their size to their advantage. They didn't use it well uh, like they did in game one and game two. Last night, it, it just hurt them. They didn't have uh, they didn't rebound the ball well. So I, you got to keep Howard in there. And I think playing Javal a little bit more where he can affect the game in the three to four minute stretches uh, towards the end of the quarter would be helpful instead of you know riding Dwight out for 10 minutes at a time. They need to split time and uh, use more fresh legs because the Heat aren't rotating a lot. They're still rotating a little bit, but they aren't. They aren't rotating them out. That uh, you know, I think the, the Lakers are using more more bodies than than the uh, Heat. Double check, which that. is crazy. But I mean, with that said, uh, I think Dwight still needs to play more. But you bring up a good point, and I just want to touch on this for people who are listening to this and like betting and stuff like that because 
I'm, I'm obsessed with the player props. Everybody knows that. I mean, I can't bet myself, but, you know, all my friends do, and I look at it, and just for the sake of this podcast, I have to know what I'm talking about, so I look at the lines as well and see what Vegas is saying. With these player props, which I think are amazing tools to make money, the only problem is with certain players, players like Dwight, KCP, uh, you, I mean, most of them are starters, um, but there's other sites I think that you can put some money on guys that come off the bench like Rondo. But also with, uh, yeah, so let's just take the example of, and Danny Green as well. Dwight, Danny Green, uh, KCP. Dwight's uh, points over was six and a half points. He's been getting double doubles. He's basically been doing, getting like, yeah, 20 points rebounds. But so for six, six and a half, he just needs seven. That's easy, and he had two buckets super early in the game, and he was at four, and you look like you're looking good, and then he doesn't play for huge stretches. Someone like KCP, that, la- that fourth quarter is not going to get the ball a lot. Danny Green, he might not even play the fourth quarter much of it. So he did last night, but just in general, there's been so many games where he doesn't play the fourth quarter. So like for those guys to do well and for you to hit, they're very, very tempting and I would still advise to do them if you see something that's crazy, like there was a LeBron half a block, so you need one block. Last night he had two, I think. But Dwight, I thought that was, I mean, I thought that was a hammer, and then he gets taken out for the rest of the game. So to feel good about those bets, honestly, you need to be hitting them by like halftime, I'd say. If not midway through the third quarter. If KCP has two points at the beginning of uh, the third quarter, you're f- So... If you do want to go a little bit more conservative, I would say maybe just take take players that you know will be playing deep in the game, like a LeBron or like a AD or something like that. I still like those other guys because it makes it interesting, but it's just been very, very unpredictable also with injuries right now too. Um, so I would definitely have that in mind. And speaking of injuries, I think Danny Green's a little banged up because JR played five minutes last game. But when you look at it, and I consider minutes, minutes, I consider a minute – uh, past 10 minutes and uh, the Lakers obviously you know they had their Lakers and Heath both had their their five playing uh, more than 10 minutes but Kelly Olenek plays 31 minutes Iguodala 17 none 20 and then you look at the Lakers Caruso Rondo Kuzma and Morris play all above 20 minutes so the Lakers are using more bodies I, I'd like to see JaVale play about eight or nine minutes a game and then Dwight Howard only playing 15 uh, four points, three rebounds, one assist, one steal, and then uh, zero blocks. I just think he can affect the game more, and I would like to put him uh, in the game more, if not use uh, McGee at the five, because I think they need a five more in this series just to uh, kind of neutralize, you know, get, more, get more rebounds and kind of use their size to their advantage, especially on the offensive end, but more on the defensive end. But I think the offensive event, they can, uh, you know, they can't space the court that well. But the offensive re- rebounding for the Lakers could be a, a big asset going forward. I mean, yeah, just do do what's working. If Dwight's working, play Dwight for 25 minutes. Who gives a f-? But also, I mean, at the end of the day, the effort just needs to be there and the urgency. I didn't feel like the the Lakers had that same urgency and, like, I don't know. I would honestly, let's just call it the way it is, that Mamba mentality um, has required, and they got to keep focused and uh, not let any blunders happen because as soon as they, got, they give these guys a hand, they're going at your elbow. I mean, these guys are a bunch of dogs. That was probably the best single-game playoff performance by a person against a team where the odds are stacked against them since Allen Iverson won, won game one against the Lakers in 2001. Yeah, no, I agree. Jimmy played well um, going for... 40, 13, 11. That's some LeBron-like numbers when he was playing against Golden State with his stars out. So hats off to Jimmy. And his second, I mean, the second leading score was Kelly Olenek and Tyler Hero, both 17 minutes. And Jimmy played 45 out of the 48 minutes. So that's a uh, like a dog. That's a warrior. That's a competitor. And that's uh, someone you want your kids to look up to because you can't teach competitiveness and you can't teach uh, a guy that, you know, has some big-time and who wants to win. So... Hats off to Jimmy Butler, and, you know, I don't think he's just gotten the respect that he deserves. He, I mean, he was in Minnesota, and Minnesota actually had a pretty good year when he was there. He was in Philly. He's just always kind of been uh, portrayed incorrectly, I think, and he's a top 10 player in this league, and he's just a guy who will compete wherever he is, but I think Miami is a great fit for him, and uh, 
Dwayne Wade was definitely uh, right when he spoke to Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra about Jimmy Butler and the future of the Heat's team with uh, with that guy at the helm. But they also have some young stars coming up with Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, and Bam Adebayo. So uh, look out for the Heat in the future. But I think the next two games, it's going to be L.A. all the way. And uh, I expect LeBron and, LeBron and AD to uh, – to step up and get this thing done because uh, I think uh, Friday night would be a uh, special special um, trophy presentation and just a good good uh, good championship. It's gonna be tough. I mean, it was it was tough if they if they get it done. And there should be no asterisk. This is a tough one. Like the Lightning said, I mean, it was brutal playing in that that bubble for three months and for these guys to um, make it all the way through. You know, with some obstacles in between, uh, hats off to whoever pulls this thing out. But I think uh, at the end of the day, LeBron's not going to let this this championship uh, slip away. Yeah, I think he realizes the stakes are too high. Um, and to your point about Jimmy Butler, just look at look at that guy's history. People need to check that out. I think he was homeless at one point in high school. He had to really fight. Um, so that guy's just a straight-up dog. He's a killer. He's a fighter. He's, I mean, that type of attitude is just so, so needed to be admired and respected. And um, he's changed that narrative for sure. Like, and that just plays to the role of the media and everything like that and what they do. But it's like he's definitely changed uh, the narrative behind him. And he just now that he's with like-minded people and a like-minded culture of just grinders and hard workers and stuff, you can really see that, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, – cancer to a team or anything like that he just wanted to win and people you know my coach here at LMU always says uh bring the juice or get left behind and those guys are getting left behind a guy that I want to see um play more is my one of my all-time favorite players J.R. Smith I was so pumped when he was in the game and he made that three he just needed I mean keep him in for a couple minutes I'm like this is a hot take but I think he can give you more than he can do whatever KCP does in less minutes and more. I mean, if he just gets hot for two games, he could be that difference maker of that third guy for a game off the bench. Keep giving him a chance. And I honestly, I like the way he did take that that second or third shot he took. He missed. It was a fall away. Um, but I don't care because that's the type of shot that he makes. But give him like 10 minutes, and I swear to God, he could do something if he's hot. If he's not hot, get him out. But if he's hot, that dude can give you like 18. And then... Um, yeah, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I hope the Lakers take these next two because, I mean, I just had I had a brutal weekend. My face looked like I went 12 rounds with Lennox Lewis, and then I had to go and sit when I'm finally starting to feel better and sit and watch the Lakers just do that. So I hope you're right, Clark. Yeah, and um, as we wrap this up, we the Yankees and Rays 1-1. Garrett Cole just allowed a solo shot um, with two outs in the first, so that's a little irritating but i know you and i gotta get mentally prepared for a big day of sports tomorrow we got four mlb games tomorrow and then uh the lakers play so uh you know exciting exciting stuff to come and french open uh you know the stars are aligning and matchups are getting better and probably have some longer longer battles with uh with the guys and you never know with the girls but we're really excited for you know the next few days, and uh, hopefully the Yankees can get the win tonight, so I don't stay up and um, you know get nervous about my hundred dollar bet to, uh, at plus five hundred for them to win the World Series, and you know I got some money on the game tonight. So the Yankees are uh, Yankees. Let's get it done tonight. But um, Alex, another great episode, and we will catch you guys next week. And uh, I think we'll probably be what you know talking about how good LeBron is in that fourth NBA championship. Yeah, I, I hope you're right, and I also hope we're talking Finals MVP. Which, touching on that, I don't think he's going to be jealous if AD wins it. I think at this point, um, just with his comments responding to Kyrie, how he said we're not jealous of each other, speaking about him and AD, I think he does want the best, and I think this is like a Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar moment where it's like. It's Kareem's team, and maybe LeBron is Kareem in this case. He's got this championship where he's the guy, and then after this, it's going to be, uh, you know, a passing of the torch. Uh, so I think this is just a little preparation for that. But hopefully we're talking that. 
And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I might even watch a couple baseball games. Uh, speaking about, you know, on uh, The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne has something called the donkey of the day. I just want to give my boo for the day. That's what we're called on our show. And my boo for the day is the Los Angeles Chargers. I, I can't believe, since we're on the topic of baseball, they sent out a tweet uh, wishing the Dodgers good luck in the playoffs uh-huh. when San Diego, when the Padres just just made the f-ing playoffs for the first time in like 14 years and have been winning. So I thought that was pretty awful. Know your fan base. Know that nobody in L.A. likes you. And things like that are basically adding to no one in L.A. starting to like you either. Similar situation. I'll go my booth of the day will be the Cleveland Indians. They uh, put out on Twitter, how do Yankee fans feel today? I think it was yeah, it was yesterday after the Cowboys destro- got destroyed by the Cleveland Browns. Um, speaking of Cleveland, you just got swept by the yeah, Yankees. Yeah, OBJ, so, OBJ got pooped on last night for sure. He had a big game. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe he did. But uh, Cleveland, you can't be uh, – you know, talking after you lose to the Yankees. And uh, I don't know if the Dallas Cowboys are America's team anymore. And, uh, you know, the Yankees, I'm not sure if they're America's team anymore. So uh, definitely a bad tweet on their part. But, um, but you know, these guys running social media aren't the smartest. But it's exciting to, you know, get into some Twitter wars and have some beef, beef back and forth with NFL and, MLB franchises for sure, but uh, yeah, the Chargers—they uh, they they definitely messed up on that one. Yeah, the Chargers made Tom Brady look like a fucking—they made him look like Tom Brady, which he's not Tom Brady anymore. He's just Tom now. Guy's yeah. forty-five years old. Jesus. It was a tough game, but uh, another episode wrapping up. This is episode seven. We'll catch you next week with some uh, storylines. I think. Uh, I guess the Lakers, the Yankees, uh, following baseball, and then the Djokovic and Nadal, if, if that is uh, comes to fruition. So, uh, looking forward to talking with talking to Alex about that, and we will catch you next week on another episode of Double or Nothing, partnered with DraftKings. So, uh, have a good weekend and enjoy the loaded loaded slate of sports this week with college football, NBA, French Open, NFL. And uh, I could go on and on, and of course, the MLB. So, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Double or Nothing. And again, we'll catch you next week. Yep, thanks again for all you guys tuning in. Thanks to my partner, Clark. Thanks to DraftKings. Thanks to uh, the paramedics for uh, making episode seven a two man show and not a one man show. Um, and yeah, hopefully, we'll be talking LeBron and Lakers winning a championship, some good tennis matchups, and uh, I won't have to use an EpiPen as a plug this weekend. So, looking good. Thanks, everyone. Peace.